Do you find his name to be beautiful? Have you found his name to be powerful? What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about that name this morning, but before we we get into a a passage here to look at today, uh, I just want to acknowledge that I'm not Pastor Tim Wallstrom. You're like, well, no kidding, Matthew. Uh, if you have the, uh, the Valley Bible app on your phone, you probably got a notification as I did. Uh, actually, I, I, I kind of knew I was going to be here even before that, thankfully. <laughs> but uh, Pastor Tim Volstrom, the Lord has put a message on his heart, and he's, he's thrilled. He wants to share it. But he's been concerned that he's had illness in his family, and he was holding out hope that he'd be able to share that message with you today. And I got a message last night that, that indeed he is sick and he can't be here today. And so uh, he wishes he could be here. From what I understand, he's okay. He's, he just needs to be home because he doesn't want to get you sick. And I don't think he wants to be here in the pulpit with a fever. So uh, he's at home, uh, Lord willing, getting the rest that he needs and getting better. If Pastor Tim, if you're watching online, we love you and we miss you here. But uh, with that in mind, um, we've, got, uh, we've got a lot of our church family that is, uh, that's been ill This has been a rough start to the year, you know, and it seems like it's the same old story, the same record on on repeat, you know, it's just the same things happening over and over again, these illnesses, whether it's COVID, the flu, it just continues to to circulate into our community, and it's it's been hard, it's been really hard, and you feel it, I feel it, we all feel it, Uh, just even today hearing of more precious brothers and sisters who are a part of this church who are very ill, Uh, we've, we've lost loved ones spouses and, and children and, and grandparents and, and, and others. And so our, our hearts are hurting today. And so right now, uh, considering that it was supposed to be Pastor Tim here in this pulpit, we want to take a, a moment here and pray. Pray for those that are ill. I want to pray for Pastor Tim, obviously, but others uh, as well. And, and, and whoever it is that you know of right now that's hurting, that's ill, that's sick, and needs the healing power of Jesus and the peace to flood their hearts, Uh, I'm going to ask you to think of that person and pray for them as I pray for our church as a whole. So let's bow our heads and and lift up those that are ill among us uh, in the name of Jesus. Father in heaven, we come before you. We come in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus, uh, the one who is a great healer, the one who healed many sick, the one who touched uh, diseases and, and lepers and others that were healed instantly. And so we look to Jesus, the great healer, and Father, we ask for those that are hurting today. Uh, Pastor Tim included and many others, Father, we ask, please, would you provide your merciful protection upon their life? For those that may even be in the hospital, Father, please uh, give them recovery, uh, give them grace and mercy to heal their bodies. But Father, we know you've given every single person a promise who feels anxious or concerned that when when we make our requests known to God, you fill our hearts with a peace that surpasses all understanding. So Father, for us today, would you fill our hearts with peace and especially those that are sick, that are hurting, that are hospitalized today, Father, please flood their hearts with your great strong, powerful peace in the midst of all that they're going through today. Father, please touch their bodies, touch their hearts. Please, please, Father, and show us, for those of us that are well enough to be here, show us, Father, how we can extend the love of Jesus to our hurting brothers and sisters. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining me there. So we're going to trust that you'll give us some grace today. I need your grace today. I didn't have as much time to be, be able to prepare a message for you. In fact, I think I overloaded the first service a little bit, and I'm going to try and pull back a little bit here because there's something that's been on my heart and mind about the name of God, and we'll find it in Exodus chapter 34. And so I'm going to do my best to present to you just some things that, that jump out to me and that's ministered to my heart when it comes to this name of God, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I encourage you to open the Pew Bible that's there provided for you. It's on page 69, page 69, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> but I don't know if you noticed, but so many of the songs that we sang this morning are related to the name of God, and specifically the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we gave glory to the name, and we talked about the power of His name, and the goodness of His name, and the blessing of His name. And so we've sung songs about the name. But I want to ask you, what's in a name? What's in a name? That's a line from William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. If you remember, Juliet is a Capulet, and she finds out that her lover, the one she loves and that she's infatuated with, is from the family Montague. And the story unfolds that these are warring families uh, in fair Verona, and uh, Juliet finds out the one that she loves she could never really be with because they're from opposing families. And so she says this line, you know, in the midst of the Romeo, oh Romeo, where art thou, Romeo, right? She says, what's in a name? What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Wow, Shakespeare's amazing there. But, but he's, he's expressing this feeling from Juliet. What, what's the big deal about this name? What's, what really is a name? I mean, if you had a flower, this beautiful flower, if we called a rose something completely different, it would still smell just as lovely as if we called it something else. And so she's saying this, this my lover, this Romeo, like, who cares if he's a Montague? What's in a name? What difference does it make? It's the person that I want to be with. And so she's saying, what's in a name? What's in a name? And while I appreciate the literary genius that Shakespeare is, when it comes to thinking about God, I would have to disagree. I think there is something significant about this name of God and the revelation that he's given to us about his name. You see, I think many in our culture today, if, if you were to strike up a conversation with a neighbor or a coworker and, and say, you know, hey, I, I believe in God. I, I follow God. Well, that's fine. That's good. No big deal. You could say God all you want because, you see, we use that term, title God, in our society, and so many people use that term to describe the gods of the religions that they follow. And so as long as you're just referring to a God that allows anybody to fill in the blank however they want, you probably won't find a lot of opposition. Now, we do know there are some who are atheists who don't believe in any God, and they may have a hard time with that. But for the most part, if you just go out and use the generic title for God, you won't find too much resistance. However, however, if you go out and say, I believe in God, and I know his name. I know his name. I know his name to be the Lord. And I know his name to be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All of a sudden, what you've done is you've, uh, you've eliminated all the other gods of this world, and you said, the one true God is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his people Israel, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ, and, and go out into society and, and start that conversation and I think it's going to be a much different feeling, much less acceptance, much more resistance. What's in a name? 
What's in a name? What's in the name when it comes to God? Does he have a name? Could we know what his name is? Well, we come to Exodus chapter 34. And we see here, this, this is an amazing moment here. Moses is, is on Mount Sinai. And let me just give you the setting very briefly. The people of Israel, they've been redeemed and, and rescued from slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh and Egypt, they were, they were initially kind to Jacob's family when they came down from Canaan. But they, it's been many years that have passed and the Hebrew people have multiplied greatly. And Pharaoh is, has enslaved the Hebrew people and God's people have been crying out, how long, O oh Lord, please rescue us from the slavery. And God shows up to Moses and he says, Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece. I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of slavery in Egypt. And so Moses goes and, and these plagues come down. You know, many of you know the story. These plagues come down and they torment the, the Egyptians so that finally they see that this is the one true God who's full of power. And Pharaoh finally says at the, after the sacrifice of his firstborn son, fine, you can go, you can go. Well, he changes his mind, and the people are there at, at, the, at the shore of the Red Sea, and they don't know what to do. The Pharaoh and his, and his army are about ready to kill him, and they've got the sea behind them. And what does God do? He parts the waters of the sea so that the God's people could cross through gr on dry ground and deliver his people, and it wiped out all of uh, the Egyptians and their armies. And so we know that this God is a powerful, mighty God. But then here they come to Mount Sinai. And you'd think they would have these memories fresh in their minds. But Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the covenant that God was going to make with his people Israel. And they start looking at their watches. Moses, he's been up there a while. Where, where did this guy go? What's happened to him? Where did he go? And so they come to Moses' brother Aaron. They say, Aaron, this guy Moses, we don't know what's happened to him, but it's time for us to move forward. We can't wait any longer. We got to get things going here. We're supposed to go to this land and do all these things, and it's hot out here, and it's really dry. Get us moving, right? So, but what we need before we move is we've got to have some gods that will go before us. And so Aaron says, all right, so give me all of your jewelry. We'll melt it down, and we'll make a god for you to follow, the god who took you out of Egypt, and, and this god will lead us into this new land, as if they could think that they could craft something that they could worship to take the place of the one true God who had delivered them out of Egypt. And what's hilarious is that when Moses confronts Aaron about it, Aaron says the worst excuse I think I've ever heard in my entire life. He says, we threw all this gold in and out came this calf out of the fire. It was absolutely amazing. It's ridiculous. It's the worst excuse ever. And so God sees it and he hears it and he tells Moses, Moses, the people are betraying me. They're rebelling against Against me, and I'm going to wipe them out. Moses goes down, he takes the first set of the Ten Commandment tablets, and he smashes them on the ground, and, he, and, he, and he, he, he gets hard on those people. Don't you know who this God is? You violated one of the most primary uh, uh, commandments of this covenant, that you should put no other gods before you. You shall make no images in his likeness. There's one true God, and he can't be made out of metal or stone or wood. And so Moses goes back up the mountain. And Moses says, Lord, these people, don't wipe these people out, but we need you to go with us. And God says, no, I'm gonna send you out, but I can't go with you. Moses says, you, we, we can't go on without you. Show me your glory. Let me see who you are. And in this moment, in the midst of the sin that the people just committed, God says, all right, I'm gonna reveal my name to you. So we come to Exodus chapter 33, verses, verse 18. You can follow along as I read aloud, and we'll get into the, the main portion here in chapter 34. It says this, Moses said, again, 33, 18, 
Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Wow, what a moment. God's getting Moses ready to experience and hear God declare his name to Moses and show his glory, but he can't see the full face of God's glory or else he'd die and be consumed. So chapter 34, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet which you broke. Be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, (coughs) excuse me, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is, stiff, it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. What a moment. What a moment this is for Moses to get to experience the glory of the Lord and to hear his name. Now don't forget, friends, Don't forget that God graciously decides to do this. And and he knows Moses is going to write this down so that this will go on perpetually for generation to generation so that God's people would know his name. You see, friends, it's in those moments when we're sinful and when we're out of step with his plan for our lives, when we're rebelling against him and sinning against him, that's where we see God's love demonstrated the most. God stepped down onto this mountain and he said, I'm gonna show you what I'm like. And what are the first words that God says that come out of his mouth? It's his name. It says there, the Lord, the Lord. Let me just give you a quick understanding because as you read your Bibles, especially in the Old Testament, you're gonna see this word, the Lord, L-O-R-D, or God, G-O-D, capitalized, all capitalized. And what that does is that should be an indication to you that this is the name that God told Moses. It comes from the verb in Hebrew just to be. 
And so what God is saying is, I am who I am. It's four Hebrew letters, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. And what's sad about it is that we don't even know how exactly it's to be pronounced to this day. You see, this name became so revered amongst God's people, the Israelites and the Jews and the scribes later on, that they would only call it the name, the name. And oftentimes when you hear Hebrews read these, these verses, instead of saying the name Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, and, and sound out those letters, they just say Adonai, which means Lord. They won't actually say the name. It means Lord or Master because they revere this name so much, which is, which is great. But what's sad is that God meant for it to be known and to be talked about and said. It says the Lord. And, and what this word means is I am. It's the verb to be. I am who I am. What God is saying in his name to us and to Moses and to the people of Israel is that I have no beginning. I have no end. I have no origin. I have no one that I've depended upon. I am who I am. yod heh vav I am who I am. I am who I am. And so later on, uh, because they used the term, the Hebrew term for Lord, uh, later on, uh, Hebrew wasn't uh, used very often as the normal language of the time. So hundreds of years later, some people thought, hey, you know what? We need to translate this Old Testament into a language we speak. We need to translate it into Greek. 200 years before Jesus came onto the scene, there was a Greek version of the Old Testament, and it used that, the term in Greek, Kurios for Lord. And that's the same term as you see all throughout the New Testament, Lord, Kurios. So that's why we have it as the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, but that name right there, he says, I am who I am, Moses. That is my name. So he introduces his name, and then what does he go on to say in verse 6? I mean, it's God reintroducing himself to Moses and to God's people. I am who I am, a God merciful compassionate and gracious. I mean, this is the first thing out of God's mouth to Moses for the people of Israel to know. Did you know that beyond everything else that God wants you to know about him is that he's compassionate and he's gracious. Friend, these are the things that God wants you to hear out of his mouth as he introduces himself to you and to our world more than anything He is a compassionate and merciful and gracious God. What a way to introduce yourself. A God merciful and compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Boy, I I hope that that's the reputation I have. Slow to anger. Oh, this is not a quick-tempered God. This is not a sensitive God that will get ticked off at the smallest thing. No, when his anger comes, know, friends, that his anger comes only when it's slow and he's been exhibiting his mercy and his grace and his compassion. But he, is, he, he does get angry over sin and rebellion, but he's slow to anger. Oh, how incredibly enduring he is with humanity. How incredibly patient he is with humanity. He's slow to anger. 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This word steadfast love is used over and over again. It's this idea that it's his covenant keeping love. That even when the other party breaks the covenant, he's the God that has steadfast love. He's the spouse in the relationship that even when the, the other spouse goes off and cheats on him all the time, he's always here saying, I'm here to show you my steadfast faithful love. I will always be here for my people. What a covenant. What a name. What a, what a God this is that's revealing himself to Moses and to the people of Israel. Remember, right after they had betrayed and sinned against him, these are the words that come out of his mouth. Verse 7, it says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. These are the three major words and categories of sin throughout the Old Testament. What God is saying here is that I forgive all of it. There isn't any sin that's beyond the boundaries of my forgiveness. And I love to show love. He says, my steadfast love that goes for thousands. And that could be the breadth of how he loves and also the length of how he loves. For generation upon generation generation upon generation. You know, God loves to love. It's his favorite thing to do. He loves to love. He loves to pour out his love for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of thousands of people who do not deserve his love. God loves to love. He takes delight in loving people. You know, sometimes we come up with an idea of this God who's up in heaven. He's angry. He's smirking. He's got his arms folded and said, I am so fed up with these people. God is angry. He is just. But that is an incorrect vision of your God. Friend, I want to tell you today, God himself has revealed to you and to me that he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. He loves to love. However, he also is just. It goes on to say, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the middle of verse seven. But who will by no means clear the guilty. Don't fool around with this God. Accept his love. Receive his love. Honor his love. Give your life to his love. Why? Because he will not clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do you see the dynamic, the comparison there? He'll visit the iniquity and judgment to the third and fourth generation. Probably because that's the amount of generations it takes for a father to influence a whole family into sin and wickedness and idolatry. And he says, I'll judge every person that, that rebels against me. But I'll go to the third and fourth generation with my judgment, but I love to show my love to thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Do you see the comparison there? God loves to love, but he, by, he will by no means clear the guilty. So this is the image. This is the name that God speaks to Moses. I, I, I can't even imagine what that may have been like to be in that rock to, to sense the, the backside of God's glory passing by and to hear this voice, to hear this name, I am who I am, merciful, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is the name that God gave to his people at just the time that they needed it the most, when they were most sinful. When they were most sinful, we know from Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his love toward us in this while we were 
sinners, right? Christ died for us. In this moment, God is showing himself to be the God that will not be thwarted by our sin, but he is the one that comes and initiates and makes the initiative to come to his people. He gives his name. Friend, this God is a personal God. This God is a relational God. This God loves to love, and yet we spend so much of our time ignoring him. We forget his name. We bow down to the idols of this world, and we forget exactly who he is. He is who he is. He's the I am. He's the Lord. Well, this name was so significant for God's people. Uh, Moses put it down in the Torah, in the law, in the five books of Moses, so that his people forever, God's people would forever know this name. And in fact, they would invoke this name all the time. And they'd say, you know what, we go before the other gods of the nations, but there's no God like this God who dwells with his people and who reveals his name like this. You see, the gods of the nations, they had the God of the sun and the God of the crops and the God of the fertility and the God of of the moon, and they've got all their different gods of different regions in the land, but this God, the I Am, the Lord, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, this God of Israel, he's unique. they They don't need a statue or a, an idol to worship this God. He's powerful, and he moves and lives with his people, and he fights their battles for them. This God is amazing. And so this was the covenant God of Israel. So as you read your Old Testament and you see this name, the Lord, know that the writers of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, they're invoking the covenant name of God that he gave to them when he made his covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And I don't have time to get into all of it, but, but Moses invokes this in Numbers. When the people sin, he says, remember the Lord your God. And how does he describe him? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. King Hezekiah does this as well as the armies, hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, the people were sinning. They were about to be invaded by the Assyrians. And what does Hezekiah do? He says, remember the I am. Remember our covenant-keeping God. Remember the Lord. He's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Therefore, we need to repent and obey and serve this God and he will deliver us. And guess what? They repented. They obeyed and God delivered them. They invoke this name because they remember who their God is. In Nehemiah, the same thing. Uh, the people of the Jews had been exiled out in Babylon and they come back to the land and they're thankful to God, but they say, we can't keep in this pattern of sin and rebellion and going into exile. So they invoked the name. Remember the name, the name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, merciful, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's repent and follow this covenant and keeping God. The Psalms are full of it. The Psalms are full. In fact, this verse, like Exodus 34, 6 and 7, where God reveals his name. It's amazing to me. You know, what's your favorite verse that you love to quote? Is it John 3, 16, Romans 6, 23? I mean, you name it. Whatever that verse is that you love. Maybe Psalm 23. Well, by the Bible itself, Exodus 34, 6 through 7 is the most quoted verse by the Bible itself. It's as if the Hebrew writers and the biblical writers keep bringing up the name, the name, the name. Remember who your God is. It's full all throughout the Psalms, invoking David over and over again in the psalmist 
distress. Invoke the name, the Lord. I'm in distress. I'm waiting, but I'm calling on the Lord. Even when David sins, he says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Why? Because you're gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we get to the prophets at the end. The prophets that are seeing the cycle continue. The people sin, they fall away, they get judged. And so the, song, uh, the, the prophets, they call God's people back. Remember the name. Remember the name. Remember the name. But we close the Old Testament and we find that God's people still are living in a state of exile. They're still living under the, the rule of the, of the Persians. And then as we close the Old Testament, they get enslaved and, and, and have to be ruled by the Greeks. And then they're ruled by the Romans. And as we open the New Testament, we have to ask ourselves, is anybody recalling the name? And is anybody calling on the name? Well, as we open the New Testament, we're introduced to, to a man. A man who came... And John writes about him. And John says, this man is the word of God and he's full of God's glory. In John 1, 14, uh, John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. I mean, it's, it's almost like, it's like we're Moses standing in the cleft of that rock and we see his glory. Glory as, as the only son from the father, full of grace. You hear it there? Exodus 34, he's full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says of John 1, For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and, grace and truth came through this man. Who is this man, John? This man came, it came through Jesus the Christ. John 1.18, No one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. Friend, I want to tell you today that we are... God's people today and, and we look back and we want to say, well, what's his name? What's this God like? Well, we could start back at Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He's the I am who I am. The, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But that was a terrifying moment for Moses. But oh, the apostles and John and those who saw this man walk say, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've touched him with our hands. We, we've heard his voice. We've handled the word of life. And guess what we found out about him? He's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in steadfast love. You see, the favorite title of the apostles for Jesus throughout the New Testament is guess what? The Lord. The Lord. You see, what the apostles are showing us from the New Testament is that we've seen this one who appeared to Moses. We've seen this one whose name was invoked all throughout the history of Israel. We've seen this one. We've touched him, and his name is Jesus. He's the Christ. He is the Lord, and he's come to show his grace and compassion. 
John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders, and, and they're really challenging him. And he says this in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. They're not talking about their literal father. Your father Abraham, who lived 2,000 years ago, you're claiming that he's your father, but he's really not, because if you really knew about Abraham, he would rejoice to see my day. And so would Moses, too. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Listen to Jesus' words, friend, John 8, 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am who I am. I am. I am. I am the one who is the Lord. I am the one who's gracious and compassionate. I am the one who delivered God's people out of Egypt so in case you think, well, maybe you're making Jesus say more than what he's really saying. Well, the Jewish leaders certainly picked up what Jesus was laying down. In fact, they picked up stones to throw at him, according to verse 59, because they believed that he was committing blasphemy. Friend, this is the amazing truth about the name of God, is that it's not far from us. It's close to us. In fact, it's right in our hearts. It's the one who is Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know his name, you look to Jesus and you find the one who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And here's our big idea this morning. And I want to give you eight implications and I'm going to move through them very quickly. And what I want to do is I want to invite you because, you know, this was kind of thrown together last minute. Pastor Tim was supposed to be up here. So I don't have a lot of slides, I don't think, but I think uh, our team is doing a great job this morning. Thank you team so much. We praise God for you. Um, if you want to email me, go to the website, find my email address, mnicacia valleybible.org. I can send you these verses, but we're going to move through these quickly. But what I want you to know, the big idea this morning is this, to know the Lord's name is your greatest treasure. To know the Lord's name is my greatest treasure. To know the Lord's name is our greatest treasure. And what I want to give you is at least four. There, there's so many things, eight, well, four things that, that bring, a, that reasons why his name is a treasure to us. And then four things that we should do because it is such a treasure. So here's, here's the first thing, and I'll just give it to you this way. To know the Lord's name is your greatest treasure. Why? Because his name is the only name that can save you from your sins. His name is the only name that can save you from your sins. Look at what the apostles believed about this in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, and it might be behind me here. But the Jewish leaders are challenging Peter because Peter's going around and he's preaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, you've got to stop preaching in this name. He says, I can't stop preaching in this name. Well, why can't you stop preaching in this name? Acts 4, verse 11. Peter says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And pay attention to verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other, what is it? Name, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter makes it absolutely clear. You could talk about all your generic gods out there, but I know the name, and there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, men and women. 
Jesus and his name, he is the Lord. He's the only gracious and compassionate one. And his name is the only one that can save you from your sins. I want to ask you today, friends, have you come in his name? And when I say, you know, to know his name is the greatest treasure, it's not just like this knowledge. I, I know about him. My family, we got to take a trip back east uh, to the east coast last spring. We got to go to Washington, D.C., and it was great to be able to go and see these memorials and these monuments to great men who helped found this great country, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and others. But guess what? I don't know Abraham Lincoln. I don't know George Washington. I don't know Thomas Jeff. I don't know these men. I know of them, but I don't know them. But what Jesus says is that I've died and I've risen from the grave. You don't have to go to some memorial about me. You can know me personally when you call upon my name. And, and Peter says this, there's no other name given among men by which men must be saved. When you call upon his name, not just saying I know Jesus, but I trust Jesus. I submit to Jesus as my Lord. I embrace him as the one who's gracious and compassionate. He's got all of my life. Friend, if you've never done that today, I invite you. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. His is the only name that can save you and rescue you from your sins. That's why this name is our greatest treasure. Secondly, his name is the source of your eternal life. His name is the source of your eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this. 1 John 5, 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the what? The name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, when you know this name and you've received this name and you put trust and faith in this name and you've submitted to your life to the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord, he says, I give you eternal life. Eternal life. For you show me a place around here that's selling eternal life. You can't get it anywhere. Now there may be some places that make you think that, hey, if you try this, if you snort this, smoke that, drink this, try this, whatever. It may give you a buzz for a while, but there's only one who can give you eternal life, and it's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. He gives us eternal life. Think about what we've been facing over these last two years. We prayed about it earlier. So many people sick. So many people that we've had to say goodbye to. So many people that we've lost. And our world is gripped with fear of death, fear of darkness. And here we have this one who's given us his name that says, if you believe in my name, I'll give you eternal life. In fact, in John 17, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, Father, in Jesus the Christ whom you sent. Do you know the name? Whatever fear of death you feel today, this name is a treasure to us. Why? Because we can look death right in the eyes and say, you may terrify me in this life, but you've got nothing on me because nothing, not peril, not sword, nothing can separate me from the love of God. We have life in his name. Friend, are you enjoying the eternal life that he's given to you? Have you received this eternal life? When you know this name, it's your greatest treasure because this name is the source of your eternal life. It just keeps getting better, friends. Back in John chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, verses 11 and 12. John 1, 11 and 12, it says this, Jesus, the word, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his 
Name, say it with me, name. What did he do? He gave the right to become children of God. Friends, when you believe in this name, he gives you this name and you get to be a part of this family. I don't care what your biological family or your earthly family has done to you. There's no family like being in the family of God. We've got a perfect father. We've got a perfect elder brother. We've got a spirit who lives inside of us and brings us the present uh, presence of our father and our elder brother to our lives all the time. And in fact, look at this. I'm an only child in my earthly life, but look at these brothers and sisters that I have in the name of Jesus Christ. People that, hey, you know what, we got different preferences, we got different styles, we even like different football teams, but we come into this room and we love each other because we're a part of this eternal family. Praise be to God. This name, this name is precious. It's our greatest treasure. It's the only thing, the only name that could save us from sins. It's the only name that gives us eternal life, and it's the only name that could put us into this eternal family, an eternal family. Well, this name is precious. It's our greatest treasure because it transforms our character. This name transforms our character. Belonging to this name changes us from the inside out. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. And I know I'm jumping around a lot. We're getting toward the end here. It says this, Paul tells Timothy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with all those who call on the Lord, all who call on the name from a pure heart. Friend, you know, some of you may be discouraged here today because it's like, man, I, I have no hope. My addictions are too strong. My, my behaviors are too powerful. My past is too filthy. My heart is too hard. My faith is too weak. Oh, friends, why don't you call upon the name? Call upon his name. He'll transform your character from the inside out. He'll turn your youthful passions into a passion for his name. He'll turn your unrighteousness and filth into righteousness. He'll turn your unbelief into faith. This name will turn your hatred into love. It will turn your, your, your warring into peace. It will turn your filth into purity. Oh, when you call upon this name. This name is our greatest treasure because it transforms us from the inside out. Have you committed your life to the name? He promises to transform you by the power of the Spirit. Knowing the Lord's name is our greatest treasure, friend. Well, those are just some of the things that this name does. So how is our response supposed to be to this name? Well, first of all, this name is worth suffering for. It's worth suffering for. Acts chapter 5 is amazing. It's a story of Peter and John, and they're, uh, they're preaching the gospel, and they're told, you can't preach this anymore, and so they get, uh, they get beat up a little bit. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, it says, when they had called, these are the religious leaders, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, if it were me and maybe you too, I'd be like, whoa, that was really tough. I just got beat up for being a Christian here. This is rough stuff. I'm uncomfortable here. But listen to what the apostles do. Why? Because they treasured this name. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for what? For the 
name for the name. This, this name is so precious, friends. It's such a treasure to us. It's worth suffering for. And I'll take it a step further. It's even worth dying for. The Apostle Paul, as he was saying goodbye to some of his fellow believers, uh, uh, Christians, um, those that were followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, they knew he was going to get captured if he went to Jerusalem and taken away and maybe persecuted, maybe suffering, and maybe even killed. And, and listen to what Paul says because he believes in the treasure of this name so much. <clears throat> Paul answered, Acts 21.13. Acts 21.13. Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem. For what? The name of the Lord Jesus. This is the greatest treasure that we could have. Friends, I'm going to tell you today, you may be here and it's like, well, I, I like coming to church. I know I need God in my life, but gosh, you guys just ask too much of me. Like the, the commitment level is just way too high around here to say, you know, we got to make a commitment to Jesus. Friends, the apostles, they believed that this name was so precious, was such a treasure that it was worth suffering for and that it was even worth dying for. Friends, why do we complain when the little bit, littlest bit of persecution and suffering comes in our wonderful nation in our day. Why don't we rejoice that we suffer even willing to die for the name? Why? Because it's the, our greatest treasure. Well, Jesus' name is the highest and most glorious name that you could ever know. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 say this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Why? Because he came and was obedient to, to the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus the Lord, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, and here's the name, the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, you can't evoke a higher name than the name of Jesus. We sang it today. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing his praise. Oh, Lord our God. Praising the name. There isn't a higher name. Friend, how do you, how do you love this name? How do you treat this name? How do you speak of this name? This is the highest name, deserving all of our praise, all of our devotion. And then finally, and here's where we'll close. His name, is sh His name shared from your lips is the greatest gift you could give to the people in your world. His name shared from your lips is the greatest gift you could give to the people in your world. And I'll briefly read it here. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse, 11, uh, verse 13 goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name, the what? The name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in whom they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone's sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Friend, there isn't a greater gift you could give to the people in your world 
who've never embraced this name than to come to them and say, I want to make an introduction to you. I want you to meet the one who's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I want to introduce you to the person that's wiped away all of my sins. I, I want to introduce you to the person, the only person that could give me eternal life and you eternal life. I want to introduce you to the person that could bring you into the greatest family that you've ever been a part of. Can I introduce you to him? His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord the greatest gift that we could ever give. Sometimes we get so jumbled up in our evangelism because we have all these things that we feel like we have to say, I'm afraid I, I'm gonna leave something out. Why don't you just invite somebody and introduce them to the one you know, the one's name that you know, Jesus Christ the Lord. It's the greatest gift that you could ever give to someone. Jesus Christ, to know him and to know his name is our greatest treasure. Now we think, Coming back to the beginning, what, what's in a name? Is there any significance to this name? When I was a kid, early 90s, 1991, 92, somewhere around there. Now, for some of you may think to yourself, he was only a kid then, right? I was like 11, 10, 11 years old. Some of you are like, boy, he's young. Others of you are like, oh my goodness, he just said a year with a 19 in front of it, right? Like that's so long ago, right? Well, around 91, 92, I can't remember the exact year, I, I was a part of a swim team, and my parents and I, we went up to uh, Lake Tahoe, and we were there in the summertime, and I was in a meet there across town, but, but there was a, a golf pro amateur event that was there, and it brought in all kinds of celebrities and athletes there to compete and do charity stuff and all this stuff, and so it was later in the day after they were done golfing, and I was done with my meet for the day, and so I remember my dad and I were walking through the hotels there just to kind of see things and see if we bump into anybody, right? And I I remember seeing John, uh, John Elway playing uh, uh, some sort of card game, and he was, I think, losing a lot of money. But I'm like, wow, John Elway, he's, he's the great Denver Broncos quarterback of the 90s who won two Super Bowls before he retired. And this guy's like, wow, football superstar. This one really blew my mind. We're walking through the hotel, and I hear across the loudspeaker, uh, Mr. Michael Jordan, Mr. Michael Jordan, would you please report to the guest telephone? My head nearly exploded. I was like the biggest Michael Jordan fan. I love Michael Jordan. I'm like, Dad, we got to find, let's just run all over this place. I want to bump into Michael Jordan. That'd be the greatest thing ever. We didn't see him. But, and here's the kicker of the story. We're walking along, and we're walking next to this guy, and he's like in this Bermuda shirt with this floppy hat, and he's just walking around. You know, my dad looks over, and he does a double take, and he stops him, and he goes, Broadway Joe. Broadway Joe. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. Broadway Joe. This was Joe Namath. Joe Namath, the great New York Jets quarterback who won the Super Bowl in 1969 and defeated one of the greatest teams of all time in the Baltimore Colts, right? And my dad goes, Matt, look, it's Broadway Joe. And I go, who? Dad, I want to see Michael Jordan. Like, who is this guy? And my dad's like, oh my goodness. So he, I get to shake Joe Namath's hand, I think, and we stop and talk for him, like, talk to him for like 30 seconds. And so I had to go home, and I'm ashamed of it to this day. That was, I mean, that's one of the great figures in, in NFL history, right, that I got to talk to, and I did not appreciate it in the moment. It's really sad, right? But let me tell you about another story, another person that I met. Uh, a little later, I was uh, going to a card show, and I, I like to collect football and baseball cards, and, and I broke my arm actually playing football, and so I went to go uh, get a signature from someone, and I had his card, and you may have heard of him. His name was Joe Montana. 
Another Joe. Joe Montana. And I know who this guy is, right? We're talking the early 90s, the great 49ers quarterback who won four Super Bowls, right? I mean, he's, in my opinion, the greatest of all time. And I was a kid. I was even wearing a 49ers hat. I'm so ashamed to say it now. But I was wearing a 49ers hat. But I just love this. I was so excited. I got his card. I watched him sign my football card. And I had a broken arm on my right, my right arm. And I go out to reach his hand just to shake his hand. And he takes his pen and he signs my cast. I've got Joe Montana's signature on my cast. And when I left, I was like, I felt like I had grown to like seven feet tall. I was floating on the ground. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I went back and, and I was like just so enamored that I had Joe Montana's name on my cast and he signed it. I went and told my doctor. He didn't believe it. We cut the piece out. I have it to this day, right, mom? But I went to school. I remember I went to school and I had, you know, my buddies, Ryan, Josh, Brett, and others, right? But then I showed them. I said, hey, look, guys, see that signature right there? That's Joe Montana. And they nearly, they, they nearly went bonkers, right? You got Joe Montana to sign your cast. Yes, I did. Amazing stuff. You see, friends, it's all about the name. It's all about the name. I knew this name. I knew this person. And this person, getting to meet this person was a treasure to me. I couldn't care less about Joe Namath at the time. I didn't know who this was. I want to ask you, when you come across people and you meet them, do you get to sense the excitement to say, I want you to know this name. I know this name. I was excited about Joe Montana. I couldn't wait to share it. But friends, we got someone much greater than Joe Namath or Joe Montana or even Michael Jordan that we know. We know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who's forgiven our sins and given us eternal life and put us in this eternal family. Would be willing, would we be willing to go out and say, I want to introduce you to someone. I want you to know his name so that you could be forgiven of your sins. It's the greatest treasure of our lives. It's the greatest treasure that you could give to someone in your life that doesn't know this name. I want to ask you today, are you treasuring and cherishing the name? How are you treasuring the name? At home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends, on social media, do you treasure the name? Have you been living in obedience and submission to his name. And then I want to ask you this morning, who's one person, just one person that you know that the Lord is prompting you to say, will you share my name? Will you make an introduction so that I could give this person eternal life? The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What a beautiful name it is. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the name. The name of the Lord. That we get to not just know about you and speak about you, but to know you personally because you are a personal, relational God. So much so, Lord Jesus, you put on human flesh and dwell among us. And you died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and are coming back again. And when we believe in your name, we get to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you for your eternal life. Thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins. Thank you that you brought us into this family. Oh, would you teach us to cherish your name, to value your name, to be willing to suffer and even die for your name. But, but Father, even if we're not called to do that, put our name, your name on our lips. Let us be diligent to speak your name the most treasured name in all the world, to give the greatest gift that we could give anyone to say, I want to introduce you 
to the one whose name I know, who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Would you do that for us this day as we treasure your name and share your name with those who need to hear it? It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Go in the blessed name of Jesus Christ.